this week, I actually wanna talk about something that is crucial. In fact, you can't have hope without getting this principle from Luke chapter 10. What is the principle I'm talking about? Well, it starts with this idea of, um, of, of stories. You know, there's no new movies. Do you know this? There's no new movies anymore. Everything is a stinking sequel or a re... The new movie out right now is Aladdin. He finds a genie. I've seen the other version. <laughs> you know, not only is there no new movies, but within the movies, they keep playing the same theme over and over and over. Certain themes, they're called tropes, right? There's certain themes that work with us. I'll give you a few examples. Every alien movie, every single alien movie ever, these are the aliens, they show up and they're going, we are here to invade the whole earth. And by the whole earth, they mean New York City, right? It's always New York City. <laughs> or sometimes Washington, D.C. Never Brazil. Why does a Brazil get aliened? And then we have this one, it's the computer hacker trope. It's the 16 year old kid that barely can pass English in high school, but if you have to get into the firewalls of the CIA, he can do it in 30 seconds without hitting return. <laughs> By the way, everyone over here, look at this. That's Matthew Broderick. That's a good movie. Go back, Netflix that one. That's a good one. And then, oh, I know, here's my, one of my favorite tropes. It's the buddy cop film. The buddy cop film, right? So there's always, what is, every single one of these stupid films, there's always one cop and he plays by the rules, but there's another cop and he's gonna get it done his way. Every single time. You're off the case. No, I'm not, right? Now, I said all that to deal with this one, because this is the one that really bugs me. Don't put it up yet. This is the one that really bugs me. I hate this one, and it's over and over and over again, and it actually illustrates the whole point of the sermon today. This is the trope, and what it is, and by the way, don't go to scary movies. Scary movies, high schoolers, scary movies are a sin. Why is it a sin? I, I'm not saying it's inappropriate content, it probably is. I'm saying it's a sin to give someone eight bucks and say, please make me miserable for 90 minutes. That's just a sin. <laughs> I don't, why do you, would you do that? I hate it. And I'll tell you the one I hate the most, it's the girl going into the room alone trope. So the girl shows up, it's dark, it's scary, the wind is blowing, someone has gotten out of the insane asylum, she hears a chainsaw in the room, and she's like, oh, what's that chainsaw noise? I'm gonna go over there and check it out. No, don't go into the room! How many have screamed at a TV or a screen, don't go into the room, don't go to turn the lights on at least! Get fresh batteries for that flashlight. Better yet, go to the neighbor's house. Go to the neighbor's thing. I can't stand this. And why does that work so well? Why do they keep doing that thing over and over and over and over again? Because they know that you know on the inside, at the very bone marrow level of your life, you know that being alone is wrong. We know that we're communal. We know that we're relational. We know that we can't have hope without other people. And this is exactly what Jesus did to transform the world. What am I talking about? I'm talking about this idea of refuse to go it alone. Refuse to go it alone. Now, here's the thing I want you to get. It's not just important to learn the words of Jesus. The Jesus words are important, but you have to watch and see what Jesus did strategically. How do you get hope? You have to follow the method of Jesus, not just the words of Jesus. What was the method of Jesus? Here's the context of Luke chapter 10, where early on Jesus' ministry at this point, this story is repeated over and over again in the gospels. He first sends out the 12, then he does to the 72. And what is he doing here? Now think, I want you to think about this. How did Jesus change the world? He didn't 
actually write a book. He was never in a movie. He didn't make a movie about himself. He had no car. He didn't travel within 60 miles of where he was born. He didn't have a Twitter account. Jesus, this is radical. You won't believe this. Jesus didn't have a podcast. And yet, without actually owning a pen, Jesus is still the most influential person that ever lived throughout all of history. How did he do it? Here's Robert Coleman, the master plan of evangelism, a classic work. He says this, it all started, Jesus' ability to change everything, it all started by Jesus calling a few men to follow him. His concern was not with the programs to reach the multitudes, but with the men whom the multitudes would follow. In other words, later on he says this, men and women were his method. Relationship was his secret sauce. The strategy of Jesus to really bring hope to the world wasn't a clever idea or an elaborate program or a multi-level scheme. It was relationship. What do I mean by that? I want us to look at Luke 10, one through nine. We're gonna go through this verse by verse and kind of dissect it a little bit. We're gonna learn something about the actual passage. Then I'm gonna bring out three big ideas that we're gonna apply to our lives. If you're still with me, Give me an amen. Amen. Luke 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to, circle this part, every town and place. 72, there's a rich symbolicness to that. 12, there's a symbolicness to that. It, It basically just says the fulfillment of the kingdom. It's saying that this is something God is ordaining. It's saying God is in this. The point I want you to realize is not the number, but where they went. They went to every town and place where he was about to go. Verse two, he asked them, he told them, I mean, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Verse three, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Well, that's a demotivational speech right there. (laughs) You'll probably be eaten. And here's verse four, this gets even weirder. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Some of you are just out right there, like I cannot bring my purse. This Jesus stuff is too radical. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Circle the entire verse four because it's just a weird verse. And by the way, you won't get what it's talking about unless you actually ask yourself, what is it talking about? It's not obvious, it's significant. Verse five, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it'll return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you. Circle that phrase, stay in the house. I think that's crucial. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Heal the sick. What in the world is going on? Here's the problem with some of us that study the Bible. We actually, if you're kind of a pro-Bible person, your problem is this. You're gonna read this passage, you're gonna go, oh, that's so cool, that's so clever, and you're just gonna move on. But we gotta actually be a little skeptical. If you read this thing, it doesn't work. It doesn't compute. Unless you actually think about the context and what Jesus is trying to accomplish, this makes no sense. Now, let me just explain this to you. Jesus is saying, all right, we're going to change the world. And here's our method. You get to not bring your Gucci purse. I don't want any Birkenstock sandals. Please, no change, no change allowed. You're going to find a guy. If he's the right guy, you're going to stay there, eat whatever he has, because you're going to be working. He's going to give you food. Don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. And if you do all that, children will be healed. It makes no sense. 
you know what's going on here? Let me give you the big, big picture. Jesus is unleashing faith, and he's setting up unity. He's unleashing faith. He's saying, go, every place, heal, preach, kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. And he's saying, but don't do it alone, two by two. And when you get there, you two find some other folks and get all interwound with them. And here's the problem. Faith and unity oftentimes are enemies of each other. They don't go together. Some people are faith people and they're like, I have big dreams. I'll take big risks. I'm gonna go do big things for God, but I don't play well with others. I'm actually kind of egotistical. I'm kind of bold. I roll people over. And then there's people that are unity people and they're empathetic, they're kind, they're listeners, but they don't take big risks and they're not risk people. What happens when faith humbles itself and humility actually takes a risk. What happens when faith and unity come together? Well, the world gets changed. How do you, how do, you do that? Go ahead and write in uh, uh, number one. Are you still with me? I know I'm yelling at you early, but, but you know I mean, I get pumped up. Number one, co-laboring. Why two by two? Why, why refuse to go it alone? What is the relationship that Jesus is setting up here? And how does that relationship apply to you and I? Here's the first principle, co-laboring. Why co-laboring? There's too much work to work alone. I don't know, are you a list maker? How many here are list makers? You make lists? I make lists every day. I'm an erotic list maker. I've learned a long time ago, everything that's on my mind that's undone, I make a big list of it and then I reorder that list. And I put the priority at the top and the least, like sometimes the thing I wanna do is not the thing I should do. I do that and I do all that list and then I just check that list off. And I wanna tell you what, if you've never done this, it's the most satisfying thing to get to the end of the day and check that final thing off the list. Yeah, I got my whole list done. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And for a whole five seconds, you're happy. For five seconds, but it doesn't last, does it? Because there's another list that comes into your mind. I've been trying for 30 years to get my whole list done. I can't work hard enough to get the whole list done. I thought for a while I could get my list done. Then I had kids and it got complicated. <laughs> Did you hear that laugh? That was only parents laughing. Did you hear? The tone of that was on. There was no laughter from this section. Listen, my friend, you'll never get your list done because there's too much work in this world to get your list done. My mom was a, was a, was a she made a chore list. Anyone here have a mom that made a chore list? And she would make us do our chores on Saturday morning before we were allowed to go out and play. I thought my mom was a, was a prison warden, man. I mean, all everyone else is out playing and flying kites and playing soccer and I'm scrubbing things. I hated it growing up. She's like, dude, gotta get your list done before you're allowed to get out of this house. Do you remember the day, I'm, not, I'm talking to you guys that are over like 30. Do you remember the day that you became your parents. Do you remember that day? I remember the day I was sharing an apartment with these two guys that didn't clean up after themselves. And one day I'm in there scrubbing the counter for some mess that they just left. And all of a sudden my mom started coming out of my mouth. I'm like, hey, you know, if any job's worth doing, it's worth doing right. You know, do the job right. You know, just putting things away isn't cleaning. You gotta actually get this thing so it's clean. And I'm telling you what, I shouldn't be doing this alone. Many hands make light work. I'm just like, oh, that's my mom, all that. <laughs> just, it'll happen to you, it'll happen. Many hands make light work. That's a cliche, right? Do you know what a cliche is? Something so true, we say it over and over and over and over and over again. My friend, what would happen? You know, here's what happens in the church. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. What would happen? What would happen if we took this verse seriously? If we believed that the harvest was ripe and the workers are few and all of a sudden you started listening and I started listening and we went two by two and we rose up every age and stage, every grade, every person, every type and gift. And we actually said, we're all gonna go into the harvest and don't let anyone tell you that the 
church is on the decline and that the gospel doesn't work and no one wants to know God anymore. The institutional church, the stuffy old dead disunified church is on the decline. The gospel of Jesus Christ still works. When we tell people that he fear, forgives them and loves them and accepts them, lives get changed. And the only thing that's keeping lives from changing is that we're not working together. If we all got in the game, two by two by two by two, we'd get some work done. We'd check some boxes off. Here's my application. Where do you need to ask for help? A lot of times I think what happens is we're working hard on our area and we think that we're the only one that could work on it. I'm gonna do this and this is my job and I'm not gonna, you gotta invite people in. You gotta tell them, I've got a place for you. I wanna say this really clearly. If you're newer to Bayside, you're gonna hear about some awesome stuff here today. And I wanna tell you, you could get the impression that we got it all figured out. Those veteran Baysiders will tell you, we're far from perfect. Give me an amen if you know what I'm talking about. We're not the perfect church. If you're looking for the perfect church, you didn't find it. If you think this is the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. It. <clears throat> That's funny, I don't care who you are. We're not a perfect church. We're still struggling and trying to figure a lot of things out. We need you, is what I'm trying to say. We need you to link arms with us and go two by two by two by two. Because there's too much work to work alone. Number two, write it in. We need community. Why two by two? Jesus is trying to establish community because there's too much danger to travel alone. Look at this. He says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. It's always funny to me whenever we talk about lambs in the Bible, because us city folks get a whole different picture of lambs. We're like, oh, Jesus, he's got a little crook and he's got me on his shoulders and I'm just a little lambing and he's carrying me around. And there was one set of footprints that were Jesus and four of my hoof prints because I'm a lamb in the sand and we're walking together and he, that's what, that, that's a, how many here you've ever been around farm animals? Anyone here been around farm? Okay, a lot of Loomis folks in the room. Good, awesome. Uh, well, welcome Auburn. Uh, we're glad you're here. Um, I grew up on several acres of land and my mom had Barbados sheeps and fainting goats. You know what a fainting goat is? They're the awesome. Go look it up on Google. It's the funnest 20 minutes you'll spend. But they, they have a genetic defect that when they're startled, when they're startled, all their muscles freeze and they fall over and they don't really faint. They actually just fall over and present their belly to the, to the predator and, like, ah, and they make this noise like that. Here's the thing. That I want. I've been around sheep a lot. I've been around goats a lot. Here's what Jesus is saying when he calls you a sheep or a lamb. He's saying you're as dumb as bricks. That's what he's saying. You should be insulted every time you read this. People that are actually around sheep and goats are like, oh my gosh, Jesus thinks that I'm gonna die, I'm so stupid. Okay, you don't believe me, I'm gonna have to prove this to you. So, so we would go out into the pasture and help my mom with the sheep and goats all the time when we ever visited there. And this, this little fainting goat uh, ram was named Ernie that my mom had him for years. I did this to him a hundred times, he never learned. So what Ernie would do is the second we would come out there, he would actually try to get Kelly, my wife, and kind of cull her off with all the other girl sheep and girl goats, like his harem. And, and he would, then if I wasn't watching, he would come up and try to butt me in the patootie. And so every time, I. I just turn my back fully to him and just kind of look at my eyes and he would think this is the time and he would come charging at me in the last per second I turn around I go boo and he'd go ah! and he just <laughs> boom every time he never learned why because he was stupid <laughs> stupid here's what Jesus is saying all by yourself you're gonna get eaten without me you're toast without each other 
You're in horrible, and you know it, that's why you don't want the girl to go in the room alone. You know that without community, you're in danger, and when you're in danger, you can't live in hope. See, here's the key question. If there are wolves, why force them to leave their backpack behind? I mean, if you're gonna go into wolf country, you want your backpack in it, and you want all the, you know, you want Thor's hammer, you want all that stuff in there, right? Why leave your Gucci purse with your pepper spray behind if there's wolves? Here's the reason, Jesus is so clever here. He's saying to them, I'm gonna force you to build relationships. I'm gonna force relationships to be the number one priority in your life. What do I mean by that? See, here's the thing that the Bible doesn't teach. The Bible does not teach your hyper-individuality. I get it my way, I get my preferences, I have my gifts, my talents, my preferences, I get it my way. The Bible teaches, no, you give up your way and you sacrifice and you serve others. The Bible also doesn't teach codependence, which is mean I just serve you and I give whatever you want, I'm emotionally dependent on you and I look to you to provide all my needs. The Bible actually teaches interdependence. What is interdependence? It's when I look at you and say you have value, you have a gift, you have honor, and I cannot actually do what I'm supposed to do unless you do what you're supposed to do. And you look at me and say the same thing. And we begin to work together. Jesus says, I don't want you to take extra money or extra shoes or extra supplies because I don't want you to go into town and start ministering first. I want you to go in town and start building relationships first. You actually can't be effective unless you make relationships the priority. You may, some of you are doing so many good things with your life, but you're worn out. And you won't keep it up because you've put the activities first, not the relationship first. Jesus is saying this, get interdependent. Summer's a perfect time for this. Stop all your activities, slow it down. Make sure that you're in community. I wanna tell you, I love small groups, but sometimes we're so working the official angle of small groups and doing the small group activity, we're not building relationships. Cancel your small group and then just get together and eat ribs. Well, that's good, that's good advice. Someone write that down. Listen, I've been telling students this for years. When you come to summer, you're in danger. See, some people, when they come to summer, they just stop doing all their spiritual distance. Listen, don't take a vacation from God this summer. Take a vacation to God this summer. And sit around and laugh and build relationships with each other. If you will make that relationship a priority, I, I know you don't have the feelings in your marriage anymore. Fight for those feelings. Look her in the eye. Hold her hand when she doesn't want you to until she does. Love each other. Make some time. I know you high schoolers are so busy and you got so much going on. Clear your schedule. Your mom and dad are gonna be more precious to you than you'll ever know in the upcoming years. Your sisters and brothers need to know you love them. Clear your schedule, be in community, and that's when we start feeling hope, and that's when we start walking out of danger. Here's the application. What's your small group plan for this summer? What's your plan for relationship? What's your plan for having a little bit less of a plan so you can have a lot more prioritization on relationships? Where are you gonna actually talk and love each other. Slow down. The biggest lie you can tell yourself is that it'll slow down after this. It won't slow down after this. You've got to slow down because it won't. I'm preaching so good right now. I'm serious. I, every week I tell myself, I'm going to stop telling you guys this, but you know, you need to be exhorted. <laughs> Number three, um, commitment. There's too much uncertainty to fight along. So, 
Why does Jesus have this two-by-two two strategy? He wants us to co-labor. We gotta work together. He wants us to be in community. We gotta actually be in relationship to be safe. And the third one is we've gotta renew just our spirit and desire and commitment to the idea of commitment. I think what's happened right now is there's so much uncertainty in our world and there's so many choices that we've forgotten how to just be committed people. And I wanna tell you, this isn't easy. Look what he says here. He says, once you find the right house, stay in that house, stay in that house, stay, 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 stay in that house. How many here have ever slept in someone else's house and it was less than desirable for what you like? How many have ever had this? I, I travel a lot and I'd stay in a lot of people's houses and they're like, oh, our guest bed is so comfortable. I get up the next morning and like, they've never slept in that bed because it was, did you sleep alone? No, there was demons in that bed. I mean, that mattress, the only thing that mattress is good for is making sure company doesn't stay too long. I mean, that thing, I tell you, we used to go, that's funny, I don't care. We used to go to my sister-in-law's house in Spokane. And I hope, Kathy, I hope you're not watching right now because you are my favorite and she's just the sweetest gal ever. And every time that we would go, she would look at us and go, we're gonna give up the master bedroom for you two. We've got our incredible water bed. How many have ever slept on a 1970s water bed? If you have not done this, you young people don't even know. That, first of all, it's just a giant bag of water. It's a bag of water. It's a bag of water. They didn't have like the sections in it back then. So my wife and I were like 100 pounds different in weight. So we'd get on this thing. I would sink to the bottom. She would go like princess in the pea way up here. She'd be like, good night, baby. Good night down there. And I'll be down there. And if you move, any time of the night, if you move, it's like. We're on the ocean. You know? I'm like, I need some Dramamine. This thing, it was horrible. Horrible. Why do we stay there? Because my sister-in-law is an awesome person and we're family and we love her. Listen to me, my friends. You gotta stay when it's uncomfortable. You know why? You gotta stay when it's uncomfortable because if you leave, you're gonna leave behind your breakthrough. Some of you, some of you, now young people listen to me because you haven't gone through this enough yet, but you listen to me and take notes on this. Some of you, you've been going to church for 10, 15, 20 years. You haven't had your breakthrough. You're still working on the same issues your marriage has been working on, your personality's been working on, your body's been working on, your finances have been working on. You say, God, why don't I ever get a breakthrough? And the problem with this is you go to a church, you go, man, this church is awesome, man. That Kurt's funny. That Andrew McCord is so stinking smart. Ray, he's a genius. Lincoln Brewster's just melting my face off for Jesus. I love this place. Now, the kids ministry. I love it. It's awesome. It's incredible. It's okay. I've heard that story before. He told that one again. Oh, we're going to talk about money again? Oh my gosh, money again. Another second offering. Oh, now they're going to talk about sin? Well, I don't agree with them on that. I don't cherish. I'm going to go over to this church. Why? Lincoln Brewster's Mohawk's too big. I'm leaving. Why? I can't understand a single word Andrew McCart says. Why? As Kurt comes, all he does is tell us that he's preaching so good. He makes us talk to my neighbor, turn to the neighbor all the time. I don't want to turn to the neighbor. I'll go over to that church where they don't turn to the neighbor. And you go to show up at that church and it's like, the worship's awesome and the teaching's awesome and the people are awesome and the kids are awesome until they didn't talk about money again. Or they didn't do the thing I want them to do in the kids' ministry, and they didn't go, and they didn't say, and they didn't feed me, and I want to tell you what happens when you hop around like that. The second it gets uncomfortable and you leave, you leave behind your breakthrough. The moment 
to double down is when you don't feel like double down. When you become a person of commitment, you start a journey of hope. Here's the unpopular thing that I'm gonna say this morning, and I wish I could say it was different than this. I wish I could tell you that it's just simple and easy, and all you have to do is show up a couple times a month and listen a little bit and get out of the room as fast as you can to beat the parking, and you're gonna have your life filled with hope, but it doesn't work that way. You can't have hope without commitment. They don't go together. The hope comes from the commitment. You can't just have a clever idea, a new program, a self-help idea. You can't just get hope that easily. You have to stay in the house because you don't know what's coming. What happened? Here's the key question. Why no moving around? Why did Jesus say don't stay there, build, build there, build there, stay there, stay there, stay there, stay there? In the book of Acts, on one day, there was a persecution. Some of you that have studied the book of Acts know this. There was a persecution early on in the authentic early Christian church. What happened in that one day? Every single Christian, everyone that said, I'm a Christian, they were scattered and thrown out of their houses and scattered out of Jerusalem. Where did they go? Well, I'll tell you where they went. They went to these houses. You see, what Jesus was doing here is he was causing them to build deep enough roots and deep enough relationships so that when the problem time came, they would have a bed and a warm meal ready for them. They were scattered throughout, where does it say? Every place Jesus was going. Jesus is creating a safe place for you when the next persecution, the next trial, the next challenge comes into your life. Jesus has got a plan for that hard moment for you, but you gotta stay in the house to find the plan. Seriously, commitment needs to have a revival in our world. People need to say, I can't get good things by being sort of committed. We've got to discover that commitment in and of itself is a beautiful and powerful thing. Application, where do you need to double down in commitment? For some of you, it's one of your children. For some of you, it's your marriage. For some of you, it's your church involvement. For some of you, it's in your giving. For some of you, it's in your serving. For some of you, it's at your work. For some of you, it's with your mom. For some of you, it's with your dad. For some of you, it's with that friend that you know you should have called and you have not called because you had that argument. My friend, stay in the relationship, stay in the house, double down, be the one who initiates, be godly in your stubbornness. And you're gonna see a breakthrough. Which brings me to my final thought. Someone's coming to the keyboard right now because final thoughts and keyboards just go together like a buddy cop movie, don't they? See how I did that, brought it all the way back around? You I like. Here's the principle. What is Jesus doing in this powerful passage? He's teaching us that when faith and unity come together in community. Miraculous things happen. We can be a part of the miraculous. We can see the kingdom come near. We can see literal miracles and miracles of emotion and miracles of finances. We can bring hope, hope can rise. But it isn't easy. It takes people saying, they need my work and so I'm gonna lock arms and I'm gonna go two by two with you. It takes people saying, I'm gonna actually do this in community. 
I'm going to worry about those that are unprotected and I am going to be a part of their protection. It takes people saying, when times get tough, I'm not gonna give up, I'm gonna make a commitment to this. Why do we take this one year anniversary? We've got a ton of people that gave, they gave very faithfully, the pledges are right at the level that we expected them to be at. Why take this one year anniversary? Well, I'll tell you the reason we take it. It's good for us. It's good pastoring. Listen to me. You and I are part of a miracle right now. I was looking at this list that I read to you last week. Did you like it last week with Andrew and, and, and Lincoln and I? We're gonna do that some more. We really like that. I was looking at this list and I'm like, it's too good of a list to just go over. If you, how many of you were here last week? This would be a rerun for you, but just look at When we joined together, when we went two by two, when we locked arms in faith and unity, this is what happened. We built a school in Cambodia. There are girls that will never be trafficked because we went two by two. St. John's has rescued girls because we went two by two. Acres of Hope has rescued families. Youth of Christ has rescued families. Tear Fund has made a difference. Faith Alive Hospital is going to have a pediatric wing. Why? Because we locked arms and said, we're going two by two. Heart in Kenya, Thrive Mexico, 30 years almost of ministering to pastors down there. Urban Youth Workers Institute, Good Cause Sacramento, One Life Project in Cape Town, South Africa is giving kids an education. Why? Two by two. There are Muslim children in France, Perfume of Life Ministry, reaching out to them. The Arab American Learning Center is helping refugees. Why? Because we went two by two. Master's degree at leadership in William Jessner University. Rural students in, in Alaska. God behind bars. My friend, we are going to change Folsom Prison, and that's not the last prison we're going into. That's not the last one. Apex, Thrive Leadership School, Breakaway. I stood on this stage last week and said every kid should go to camp. And by the way, if you're tired of hearing me say that, so what? Because I'm going to say it and say it and say it and say it. Every kid should go to camp. Every kid, and it doesn't matter where you live or what age or stage your family's at, you should get to go to camp. I went over this one last week too fast, and I, I want to, this is, this is, do you remember her? This is divine. She's in a hospital in the Philippines. It's a part of a project, Tim Tebow stopped, which there's an epidemic of uh, deformities that have surgical remedies that there is no resources to give those remedies to. And I went by it so fast, I didn't really show you. This is what divine's foot looked like before you gave. And this is what Divine's foot looked right after the surgery. That little girl walks. Why? Because someone said there's too much work to work alone. Because someone said we've got to come together to protect one another. Because someone said I'm comfortable enough. I'm comfortable enough. I want to be committed enough. I want to tell you, my friends, some people say, well, why do you do this? You guys Bayside always challenging us and asking for money and new people be offended of it. I don't think new people are offended by this. I think new people are offended by the fact that the church sits around and talks too much and doesn't do, do stuff. I'm not ashamed to call the wealthiest people in the history of mankind in one of the wealthiest areas to say God has given you this wealth for a reason and a purpose. And that purpose is that you and I would lock arms together and see girls' lives changed. Girls that were born into deformity released into life. I wish I had time to talk about the Covenant Kids Congo. Maybe next week, what we're doing in Northern Congo, 
We are changing the worst place, the worst place on the planet to live as a child. We're changing that place. I, I'm, I've got a big surprise on the mobile medical clinic. I'm not gonna tell you until, until next, take that off. I'm not telling you about that till next week. I, I wanna talk about what we're gonna do. We're gonna do, the, we're gonna do the fields. We talked about that last year. We're gonna put two soccer fields out there. There's a incredible shortage of soccer fields in our community. And here's, we're gonna do that for two reasons. First reason is every single parent, every single kid and student involved in the soccer community, which is all of them in, in this area, will love Bayside for doing that. We will get, our favor will go up. They'll say, what a church, what a, that, that place is different. Why are they serving the community? And we're gonna do it because it's the right thing to do. It's a God-honored thing to do. It's the servant-oriented thing to do. And it's a great way to prove people that we actually have been loved by God so much that we wanna sacrifice and love them. Don't you agree with that? That's why we're gonna do those fields. The other reason we're doing those fields is because it'll make Andrew McCourt really happy for 30 years. And, and there's no way he'll ever leave if we do those fields. That's a good thing, don't you agree? I mean, it's manipulative. He'll never be able to leave. Those are both really good things, right? But listen to me, I wanna to talk to you about this one. We didn't talk about this last week. We're gonna renew all of our fourth and fifth grade area and middle school. Why four or five? I wanna just tell you, I can't tell you how many leaders do not get this. The fourth and fifth graders are the most important people in our church. They are the most, I talk to leaders all the time and I say, tell me about your church. They're like, we're in revival, we're doing this study, these great things are happening, we got these programs. I'm like, tell me what's happening with your fourth graders and fifth graders. Well, we don't really have a fourth and fifth grade ministry, we just throw them in. I'm like, you are not in revival, you're gonna be dead in five years. You gotta, you gotta stop worrying about the people that can write the big checks and worrying about the people that actually matter, the fourth and fifth graders. My friend, fourth and fifth grader and middle school, they're like the frogs. The environmentalists will tell you this. If the, the, the environment is polluted, it'll show up in the frogs first, the amphibians. They'll, they'll start dying off, they'll get deformities. If there's pollution in the system, you know that there's a problem by looking at the frog population. If, on the other hand, if the water is clean and the environment is clean, the frogs will prosper. You'll hear them creaking and croaking. Here is the truth. What is the frogs? What is the indicator of life and growth in a church? It's the fourth and fifth graders, my friend. The fourth and fifth graders, when they're teeming all over this place, when they're being discipled and loved, and I want to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go into those rooms and we're going to make every single middle school kid feel like a star and every single fourth and fifth grader feel like a star because that's who they are. And when they walk in the room, they're going to say, man, I must be the most important person in this church because they are the most important person in this church. And why? Let me tell you, let me tell you. Why are they the most important person? Because when you get a fifth grader, you get their whole family. When a fifth grader looks at the dad and says, we're going to church this weekend, the dad goes, okay. If you put a fifth grader on stage and let him sing, grandpa and grandma get saved. And I want to tell you, we are not about thinking about tomorrow. We're about thinking about the day after tomorrow in the kingdom. And we're going to, in staff, in curriculum, in facilities, we're going to renew our commitment to four, five, and middle school in this church. And we're going to see families prosper because of it. And we're going to do it two by two. We're going to refuse to go it alone. Who is with me on this? Awesome. If you just applauded, we took a photo of that. Take this out, everyone take the pledge card out. Take it out, take it out. It doesn't bite. Don't worry, I'm not gonna ask you to hand it in. There's four types of people in this room and I finish with this. The first type is you're brand new. You're brand new and you're like, oh, here's a church talking about money. Here's what I wanna say to you, brand new person. Thank you for coming. I understand the cynicism with this, I do. 
take a breath. I don't want you to do anything except watch. Sit back and watch. You watch what happens when a church that cares about people puts action to that empathy. I want you to sit, just come for the next couple of months and you watch and see what happens with this. There's another group in here, you're like, Kurt, a year ago, I made a pledge, my wife and I, we made a pledge, my husband and I, we made a pledge, but we didn't fulfill the pledge or we didn't give as much as we said we're gonna give. And I have a really clear message from you. Listen to me, pastor, person, it's okay, it's okay. We're not mad at you, you shouldn't be mad at yourself. Life happens, amen? How many here have ever had a financial interruption you didn't expect? I'm telling you, just when we get ahead of our bills, one of my kids comes home and says, I ran over something, and it was the other kid. I mean, you know, <laughs> stuff happens. Feel no condemnation, it's okay, it's fine. Maybe God did that so you can jump on now, because now is the time we need you. There's still a gap between what we want to do and what we can do. You can jump on and help us fill that gap. There's a third type, you're in here, and you're like, Kurt, I made a pledge, I fulfilled my pledge, I've been given regularly, I've only got one message for you, this is really sincere, this is the only thing I want you to hear. Thank you. Sit. Thank you, I love you, it's such a joy to pastor you. It's so powerful to be a part of people that really actually wanna make a difference. Some of you, you serve quietly, you're not showy, you don't want credit for what you gave, you just gave and gave and gave and gave, and your reward is when you hear about divine. And I just wanna tell you, I love you, great job, and keep it up, keep it up. There's one last group, and you're the ones I really want you to take this card. Everyone should take this card home, pray, put it in your Bible, think about it. But I really wanna to talk to you, and here's what I think you think sometimes. There's a lot of really good people at Bayside, and they seem to get it done every time, so they don't really need me. They don't really need me, so I didn't make a pledge. Listen to me. I don't care what age or stage you're at. I don't care what income level you're at. It's not equal gifts, it's equal sacrifice. I'm calling you to just do one thing. This is all I want you to do. You go with your roommates, your friends, you by yourself, with your spouse, you go this week and say, Jesus, this is all I want you to do. Jesus, what do you want me to do? And then you do that. And here's what I'd just like to say to you. We need you. You see, we have gotten a lot of stuff done around here, but no one knows what we could do if we all did something. I guarantee you if we locked arms two by two by two by two, a, a miraculous thing would happen. The kingdom of God would come near. If faith and unity came together in every family and every person, the miraculous would be unleashed. Would you just, would you just join us? Would you come up to this adventure with us? And let's see what God could do. Next weekend, we're gonna do exactly what we did this weekend. We're gonna teach. It's gonna be a soft sell at the end. It's not gonna be a big heavy thing. We're gonna fill these cards out, hand them in. We're gonna do it with a first fruits offering. And in the name of Jesus, we're gonna see what God does if we go two by two by two by two. Amen? Can I pray over you? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that newer person that came this week. God, I pray they would be amazed by watching what you still can do. God, thank you for that veteran Baysider, that person that made a commitment last year and has been faithful to that. Bless them, God. Lord, thank you for that family that's had an interruption, that person that's had an interruption 
God, restore to them the faith and joy of giving. And finally, I pray for that person that's yet to join in. Let faith rise in them. Let them believe that we need them and you want to use them. And God, let us all join arms in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, 